I love to see what I think of as the, the fingerprints of God, little evidences in our lives that he is here with us, present with us, caring for us. I saw one of those fingerprints last Sunday. Um, I gave a significant amount of attention in the sermon from Deuteronomy on Romans chapter 5 and talked about the glory of Christ being our representative, dying our death uh, and taking our place. After the worship service, many of you came up to me and said, Craig, Tony taught on Romans chapter 5 in Christian Ed. I had no idea. You say, well, no big deal, but you know, what, what are the chances? Is there something that God wanted to emphasize to us, his people, last week? The, these letters Todd just read, right before the service, I said, Todd, what, what's on the schedule for uh, the, the prayer this morning? He said, the children from the children's home. I said, Todd, this week we got four letters from the children with pictures. And so maybe the Lord wanted us praying for them in a special way this morning. Do I see another fingerprint this week? I can tell you for certain that I am not organized enough. I am not organized enough to have planned to preach from Deuteronomy 4 on the Sunday before Christmas. Because by my plan, I was only going to spend two weeks in Deuteronomy chapter 1. And as you know, we spent, yes, count them, nine weeks and many more weeks in between. I was trying to figure out, what am I going to preach on 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 Christmas Sunday? Because Deuteronomy and Christmas, Deuteronomy, the incarnation of Christ, those don't really go together. Was I right? Or is another fingerprint of God here? What might God want to impress upon us, his people, with whom he dwells this morning. Well, let's see. If you have your Bible open to Deuteronomy chapter 4, I'm going to ask you to stand as we hear, read together, the word of the living God. Deuteronomy chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. This is Moses speaking the word of the Lord. Hear now, O Israel, the decrees and laws I'm about to teach you. Follow them so that you may live and may go in and take possession of the land that the Lord, the God of your fathers, is giving you. Do not add to what I command you and do not subtract from it, but keep the commands of the Lord your God that I give you. You saw with your own eyes what the Lord did at Baal Peor. The Lord your God destroyed from among you everyone who followed the Baal of Peor, but all of you who held fast to the Lord your God, are still alive today. See, I have taught you decrees and laws so that the Lord, as the Lord my God commanded me, so that you may follow them in the land you are entering to take possession of it. Observe them carefully, for this will show your wisdom and understanding to the nations who will hear about all these decrees and say, surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. What other nation is so great as to have their gods near them? The way the Lord, our God, is near us whenever we pray to him. And what other nation is so great as to have such righteous decrees and laws as this body of laws I am setting before you today? Only be careful and watch yourselves. Observe closely so that you do not forget the things your eyes have seen, nor let them slip from your heart as long as you live. Teach them to your children and to their children after them. Remember the day that you stood before the Lord your God at Horeb? 
when he said to me, Assemble the people before me to hear my words, so that they may learn to revere me as long as they live in the land, and may teach them to their children. You came near and stood at the foot of the mountain while it blazed with fire to the very heavens, with black clouds and deep darkness. Then the Lord spoke to you out of the fire. You heard the sound of the words, but you saw no form. There was only a voice. He declared to you his covenant, the Ten Commandments, which he commanded you to follow, and then wrote them on two stone tablets. And the Lord directed me at that time to teach you the decrees and the laws you are to follow in the land that you are crossing the Jordan to possess. Let's pray together. Father, we ask now that you would uh, fulfill your promise to us uh, to add your blessing to the reading and hearing of your holy, inspired, and errant word. Thank you that your spirit indwells us, your people. And we pray now that he would be the teacher this morning, that the truth that you have for us would find its place in our hearts and in our hands. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. Be seated. To see what the Lord is emphasizing to us in this passage this morning, let's break it down in this way. In the 14 verses that I read this morning, the word decree is used five times, the word law is used five times, as is some form of the word command. The word word is used two times, voice one time, spoke twice, and declare once. In relation to all of those words, we hear the word hear three times, teach four times, follow five times. Also, we read, observe, be careful, watch yourself, and remember. Clearly, with all these words in these 14 verses, God is emphasizing to his people the importance of his word. His word spoken, his word heard, followed, and obeyed. That's the way God chooses to relate to his people through his word. He doesn't want any other image to represent him, an image of any animal or any person or any combination of the two. God chooses to reveal himself and to relate to his people through his word. Now look with me, if you will, in verse 12. It says there that then the Lord spoke to you out of the fire. You heard the sound of words, but saw no form. There was only a voice. You see, in that dramatic display on Mount Sinai, when the lightning stopped flashing and the thunder stopped crashing, when the fire went out and the smoke cleared away and the darkness was gone, what emerged from that scene was not God revealing himself in all his glory. What emerged there were two stone tablets with ten commandments written on them because God determined that he would relate to his people through his word. He would speak, they would listen and obey. So what is it that God wanted his people to know about his word as they moved into the land that he promised to give them? Well, there are at least five truths. The first one is in verse 1, if you'll look there. Hear now, O Israel, the decrees and laws I'm about to teach you. Follow them so that you may live. Here's the first truth about the word of God, that people must understand as they live in the land God has given them that life is in the word 
of God. Follow the word of God so that you may live. Now that must mean that non-life, non-life exists from not following the word of God. So whatever it is a life feels like that's lived outside the word of God, it's not life. Even if those people living that life outside of the word of God say, Oh, wow, man, this is really living. This is life. They only say that because they don't know what real life is. Because real life is only found in the word of God. Remember that. Secondly, God's people must know that God's word is complete in and of itself. And there is an exclusivity to it. Look now in verse 2. Do not add to what I command you and do not subtract from it. See, God's people don't get to pick and choose. God's law, all of it, everything he gave to them was to guide their lives and to inform their living. God did not give his people an eraser with the Ten Commandments. He didn't. As a matter of fact, what were the Ten Commandments written on? Stone, indelible, right? And so God's people could not ignore the inconvenient commands or the difficult ones or the ones that they didn't understand or the ones with which they did not agree. If you could erase any part of the word of God or the law of God, what would it be? Really, no kidding, that's an important question for us to ask ourselves and and, and to wrestle through the answer because it will reveal something about us. It will reveal the way we, we, we look at our lives or the way we may be looking at God. If there's any part of it that we would take away. Nor could they add to the law. Something perhaps that God accidentally ugh, left out. Just something he forgot to mention. Even in ancient Israel, there, were, there was no shortage of voices speaking into their lives from the nations around them. Voices calling to them like the song of the siren. Come, this is the way, walk in it, live as we live. And how convincing those voices can be. How tempting to make additions to the word of God. Voices, many of them call to us from our culture. Loosen up. Don't be so narrow-minded. Don't be so intolerant. They ask questions of us. How can there really only be one way to God? If people aren't hurting anybody else or themselves, why can't they do what they want to do with their own bodies? Think of how much more comfortable it would be for for all of us if we were able to just add a few things to God's Word. Just a little something here. Just a little something there. Uh, that that would make God seem a little kinder, a a little gentler, a little more tolerant, just a little more uh, palatable for our culture. So again, think. If you could add anything to the Word of God, what would it be? Because whatever it is that you would add or I would add, it indicates that something, that way that we view God, uh, we think that He is not complete. If we would add something, we would think that God lacks something and maybe that something is a little kindness or maybe that something is a little tolerance. But the truth is that God is complete. 
And that's the truth. In and of himself, he is complete. And the theological term we use for that is the aseity of God. He is complete in and of himself. And in his perfect knowledge and wisdom, he's given us exactly what we need. So where you do not agree with that, where you would add to that, is another opportunity to examine your life and say, why? Why would I add in it? Where is the lack in God that needs my addition? If I'm unhappy with who God is and who's revealed himself to be, why? Don't add to. Don't subtract from the word of God. We need to remember that. Thirdly, the Word of God makes us magnetic people. Haven't you always wanted to have a magnetic personality? Look, look in verse 6. Observe them carefully. That's the Word of God. For this will show your wisdom and understanding to the nations who will say, Surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. So listen, if God's people will follow God's Word and obey God's Word carefully, faithfully and from the heart. Carefully, faithfully, and from the heart. Far from being irrelevant, far from being outdated in their world, they will be the standouts. They will be the go-tos in the world because their lives will be of such a quality and their prosperity will be of such a degree that the nations around them will take notice. And their comments will not be... Look how backward those people are. Look how out of touch those people are. But instead, they'll say, those people are wise. Those people have understanding. Those people get it. They have life figured out. How do they do it? And that's what the Word of God will do and must do in all places and all times. Because listen, it's the Word of God from the mind of God. Reflecting the heart of God who created all of this anyway. So of course when that God speaks into our lives and when we listen and when we obey, people will take notice. Your life, everything about it. When you have submitted everything about it, your life, to the word of God. It's a powerful magnet that will attract people to the Lord. Even if you don't speak words to them, you may never have the opportunity. Even if it's someone who is observing your life from afar, your life, all of it, lived in submission to the Word of God, my life will draw questions from people. How? Why? You and I are magnetic people when we live our lives in obedience to the Word of God. And that's a good thing, isn't it? Fourthly, The Word of God is a source of joy and amazement. Look in verse 7. I'm telling you, I I just, I do not know how to read this verse. Because when Moses gets to this part of his sermon, and that's what Moses is doing, he's preaching a sermon here. When he gets to verse 7, man, what, what happened to his voice? You know, did the pitch go up? Did the volume go up? What was the passion like? I I wish I had been there to hear Moses ask this question. What other nation is so great as to have their gods near them the way the Lord our God is near us whenever we pray to him? And what other nation is so great as to have such righteous decrees and laws as this body of laws I'm setting before you today? It sounds to me as if Moses is 
completely overcome by the blessing that these people have because they have the word of God. Who else gets this? We get it. We get it. We get the laws of God. We get the decrees of God. We are blessed. Unbelievable. If we are anything less, and this is so true, if we are anything less than amazed by what is ours in the word of God, then we need to examine our hearts again. Because if we see in the word of God restriction instead of freedom to be the people he's called us to be, we're looking at God's word wrongly. And if you don't see blessing in the boundaries set by the word of God that keep you safe and keep you in the place that you need to be, then it's because you are bent on the heartache and the destruction that is lurking, that is waiting for anyone who will transgress those boundaries into the darkness that lies beyond them. If you don't see and use the word of God, if I don't see it and use it as a guide to, to physical, spiritual, emotional, relational health and prosperity to a life of peace and joy, then you and I are forfeiting a tremendous blessing. Especially if we forfeit that blessing, if we forfeit that game to, to, to something else, to a pill, to a bottle, to a person, to a self-help seminar. You know, I always am, am trying to think of ways to describe life apart from the Word of God. Some way to communicate the light that God's word brings to our lives. And, and this is what came to my mind this week. I, I thought about a, a jigsaw puzzle. A jigsaw puzzle with thousands of pieces. And all those pieces are placed in front of you and you have to put them together. Only there is no box top to follow. So you don't really know what picture you're trying to put together. But, but there are all the pieces. And somehow you've got to figure it out. But before you begin to try to put the pieces together, the lights are turned out. And so you are in complete darkness. And before you can pick up any of those pieces, mittens, not gloves, mittens are put on your hand. And so you can't really distinctly feel any one of those pieces, but you're told, now put the puzzle together. See, that's what trying to figure life out, apart from the word of God, is like. You know, you may force the pieces together. You know, you know how you do it a crossword puzzle? You know, you just you try to beat the, the, the piece into place. But when the lights come on, the picture you come up with, it, it's no picture at all. It, it's a senseless mess of thrown together pieces. That's life apart from the Word of God. And that's why Moses here is so overcome with gratitude for the blessing that belongs to these people because God has turned the lights on. Because God has taken the mittens off. Because God has given them the pieces and he's shown them the picture and he said, this is what it looks like when all the pieces are properly in place. Why should we be so blessed as to have the word of God in our lives? Some people think I'm overstating the case. And they say, seriously, there are plenty of people in my life who don't know the word of God. They've never picked up the word of God and their life is not a mess. Well, number one, you don't really know whether their life is a mess or not. But secondly, let me just say this. You and I don't have the opportunity of seeing with the people living around us 
how people totally devoid of the Word of God and the presence of God would put their lives together because too much of the Word of God is around them and too much of the Spirit and the presence of God is around them because of the believers that surround them in their lives. The very laws that we live by, many of them are based on the truth of the Word of God. And so if there's something right in their life, something good, if there is some truth in their life, if they figured out something that's real and true, they just plagiarized it from the Word of God. Only they did not know or they refused to give God the credit for it. So yes, it's true. Apart from the word of God, every life would be a total and complete mess. How amazed then and how overjoyed you and I should be that God gives his word to us to show us the way to have such a full life. We need to remember that. And fifthly, the people must know that the word of God is for the present. It's for the present. Look again in verse 8. After Moses asked this question, you know, what nation is so great to have the righteous decrees and laws of this body that I am setting before you today? The moment is now for the word of God in our lives. The moment is now. It's today. This is a theme that we're going to see as we continue through Deuteronomy. It's a theme of the book. Over 50 times Moses uses the word today, today, today. The time for the word of God is today. It's not tomorrow, it's not next week, it's not next year, it's not after you've sown all your wild oats. That's not when the time for the Word of God is. The time for the Word of God is right now. And Moses is relentless in emphasizing the immediacy of the moment. Life decisions have to be made today, every day, hundreds of them. According to the studies that I found, the average human makes 612 decisions a day. Can you believe that? 612 decisions we have to make a day. Now, let's just say that your day is 14 hours long. That is 840 minutes. 840 minutes to make 612 decisions. They come at us pretty quickly, don't they? You know, and so the question is, how will we make those decisions? According to a New York Times article entitled, Do You Suffer From Decision Fatigue? To which I answered yes. The choices you make throughout the day, the more choices you make throughout the day, the harder each one becomes for your brain. Amen. And eventually, your brain looks for shortcuts, usually either of two very different ways. One shortcut is to become reckless, to act impulsively, instead of expending the energy to think first through the consequences. The other shortcut is the ultimate energy saver. Do nothing. Instead of agonizing over decisions, avoid any choice. And we know how disastrous that is. Grocery stores, listen, they know about decision fatigue. Why do you think all those wonderful chocolate candy bars are lined up at the cash register? Because the grocery stores know you are suffering from decision fatigue. Which promotion, which product, which produce, by the time you get there, your willpower is totally gone. And so you, like I, grab the king-size snicker bar. (laughs) Decision fatigue. One more article. It's from Time Magazine. Cognitive control is what keeps the network, our brains, in check. To be able to get to the checkout counter with what you planned, you need to maintain a goal in mind, such as only buying the salad you needed for dinner. 
That's your cognitive control network maintaining an overall goal despite lots of distractions. Now, this is how your brain and my brain works. And this is according to science, 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 research. All right? So what is it that informs the mind of uh, uh, the, the, the child of God? It's the Word of God. Today, every decision that we make must be based on the truth of God's Word. When you're weary, as we often are, fatigued by a decision, when your willpower is low, when a tempting decision faces you, it's the truth that you've planted in your heart, the truth that you have planted in your mind. That's what comes to the front and makes the decision that your willpower cannot make for you. It will remind you of the goal that you set for the day. Not the salad for dinner, the goal that you and I have as believers in Christ, and that's to become more like Christ every day. It's to remember our ultimate goal of heaven and what's already there for us that we are so frantically trying to get here on earth. No, it's already there. That is our goal. Good decisions instead of impulse decisions can be made today when you and I are depending on the Word of God. Remember that. Now, these are the truths, these five truths about God's Word that God wants His people to know as they move into and live in the land that He has given them. The Word of God is life. The Word of God is complete. We need nothing else. It's magnetic. The Word of God is a source of joy and blessing, and it is for right now. All of this is the truth about the Word of God. Now, do me this favor. Pick up your Bible and turn in the New Testament to John chapter 1. And if you're using a pew Bible, that's page 750. And I'll just leave you to fill in the blanks. John chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the was with God, and the was God. Now look down in verse 14. The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. We have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. This is absolutely amazing on this Christmas Sunday that we see the Word of God in Deuteronomy chapter 4 and the living Word of God in John chapter 1. Moses says, What other nation is so great as to have their gods near them the way the Lord our God is near us? God was near His people through His Word. But that wasn't near enough. God wanted to come closer. He wanted to accomplish more than had ever done, so He took on flesh. And He came to earth to be Emmanuel, God with us, the living Word. And so when the the star in the east set and that bright Middle Eastern sun rose on the morning that Jesus was born and when it scattered the darkness away, what did it reveal? Not two tablets of stone. God Himself in the manger. Seeable. Touchable. God. In the flesh, come to live among us. Everything that God had for His people through His Word 
Jesus is now to be all of that for us. Did we say? Yes, we said that there was life in the word of God for his people. John 1, 4. In him was life. And that life was the light of men. John 10, 10, Jesus said, I've come that they may have life and have it to the full. You will only find real life, true life, full life in Jesus. That's the truth. Did we say there was exclusivity to the word of God? Jesus answered, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And so you're not going to help yourself. And you're not going to help anyone else in your life by letting them believe that there is hope in any other way. You may take some strain off a relationship by keeping your mouth shut, but you will not help them. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Did we say that there is completeness in the Word of God, that we don't need to add to it or subtract from it? What did Jesus say from the cross? It is finished. It's complete. Nothing else remains to be done to take care of your sin and my sin, to open the doors of heaven and usher us into the presence of God. You know, I bet, I know that you're not at rest right now because it's three days before Christmas. You couldn't possibly be at rest because there have to be several more things that you have to do because they are on your to-do list. So at this point in our lives, we hardly have a concept for it is finished. Am I wrong? It's, it's true. So we, we can't really understand that, that there's nothing left to be done. Nothing. Every gift is bought. Every gift is wrapped. Every gift is assembled. The cupboards are full. Everything is baked. The house is spotless. You're where you need to be. It has all been taken care of for you. What then is left for you to do? Sit down, relax, and enjoy the season. Jesus, the living Word of God, became flesh to wrap everything up for us. To to, to draw a line through everything on your list. You know, He came to take the list right out of your hand. Because everything that needs to be done for you and needs to be done for me, He has done so that we can have true rest and true peace. All we have to do is actually, by faith, just try to comprehend the, the, the blessing that it is finished in Christ. Did we say that the Word of God makes us magnetic? Matthew says, Let your light shine before men, that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. Jesus said in John 12, But I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all men to myself. Does Scripture not talk about this mystery? Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ, the one who came to live with us and then in us. What will the impact be when we allow people to see everyone around us, Christ in us? Jesus, the Word of God, became flesh and dwelled among us. And that word dwelled among us literally means, as you know, pitched his tent. He came and he set up his tent right in the middle of humanity. And then he gave us a place to pitch our tent. We didn't choose this time to be alive. God chose it for us. 
we didn't choose this place to be born in America, those of us that were. God chose it for us. And God said to us, in this time, in this place, in this culture, the one right now, you've got to learn to live out my truth and be my witness. Evangelical Christians are too often antagonistic to our culture, as if God has no place in it. And we just all need to do this. I'm going much longer than normal. Do you forgive me? Thank you. (laughs) I couldn't cut anything else. You don't know what I cut out of this sermon. Believe me. Anyway, we're antagonistic. But that's not what God has called us to be. This is the world. This world that we live in is is the world that God will reclaim and will redeem. This world, this place, the one we're living in right now, it's the stage where the beauty of the salvation of God is acted out over and over and over again in this place, on this stage, as people come to faith in Christ. In a few minutes, we're going to sing joy to the world. Verses 3 and 4 say, No more let sin and sorrows grow, nor thorns infest the ground. He comes to make his blessings flow as far as the curse is found. Verse 4, he rules the world with truth and grace and makes the nations prove the glories of his righteousness and the wonders of his love. His glory, his righteousness, his love proved in this world as far as the curse is found. And how far is the curse found? It's everywhere. How? By the living word, through people lived in by the word, by our loving the world, not hating it, withdrawing from it, leaving it to rot on its own. Jesus could have done all three of those things, but he did not. He became the living word and dwelled among us. And as he dwelled among us, he was full of grace, full of grace and truth. How would our culture change if people living around us believed that we sought their good instead of seeking to destroy them or bring them down because they don't agree with us. Do we not believe God when He says, Behold, I will create new heavens and a new earth. The former things will not be remembered. They will not come to mind. Does not God put that picture in front of us of the new heaven and a new earth of a place in which all kinds of people from all over uh, the world live at peace with God and with each other? He gives us that picture so, so that we will yearn to take our place and play the part that he has given us into bringing about that new birth and that new creation. Does scripture not contain a New Testament that talks about a new way and a new life and a new birth and a new attitude and a new creation? Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. This is the work that Jesus is doing. So fear not, fear not. The first words out of the mouth of the angel on the night that Jesus was born. Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David, a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. Why should we live in fear? We see the world as against us. Or we lash out in anger. Here's my favorite one. Hmm. Listen to them saying happy holidays instead of Merry Christmas, trying to take Christ out of Christmas 
Well, Merry Christmas, Merry Christmas, Merry Christ Mus. Hmm, I showed you. Now you've heard that, and that's what we do. And I don't know about you, but there's one emotion that I always feel if I listen to conservative talk radio, which I try not to listen to anymore. There's always one emotion. I bet you feel it too. You always leave with a sense of fear. Fear about what's going to happen. Fear what's going to become of us if we don't stop this person or stop that program. We're so afraid, 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 fear, fear, fear. Now we're almost done. Oz Guinness. I don't know if you've heard of him or not. He's an author. Written over 20 books. He's a social critic. He formed uh, a group called the Trinity uh, Foundation, the Trinity Forum, and uh, they work together, uh, leaders, and they're committed to cultural renewal. And he writes this. We, and by we, he means evangelical Christians, which is we, (laughs) we have protests, pronouncements, preaching, picketing, all sorts of things like this, but we lack persuasion. We have coercion, but not persuasion. We are people of truth because God is a God of truth. We're asked not to just defend the truth, but to know it and to live it and become people of truth. I would call Christians to think instead of culture warring, to think of a Christian renaissance, of faithfully living out the way of Jesus in every sphere of our life, of putting an emphasis on the creative, constructive things we do. We need to be for things more than we're Against things, right? And that's as it should be for people who are filled with joy. Did we not say that the Word of God, the written Word, the living Word of God is a source of joy in our lives? Once again, the first night of Jesus' life, the first night, the angel said, I bring you good tidings of great joy. That's night one. The last night... Of his life. Jesus is in the upper room with his disciples and he prays to his father and he says, Father, I am coming to you now, but I say these things while I'm still in the world so that they may have the full measure of my joy within them. The full measure of the joy of Christ who's returning to his father because of a job well done. That joy is to be in you and me. 1 Peter 1.8, though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you do not see him now, you believe in him and you're filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. So why should we feel like victims, like we've been wronged? Look at what we've been given and what we have to offer in the living word of God. We have nothing to fear. With the word of God in our hands and living in our hearts, the truth of God is not going to be destroyed. He came full of grace and truth, so we must live full of grace and truth. So the question for us is is how will we pitch our tent? How are you and I? How are we going to live in this world? I'm just saying, by God's design, our passage was on the word of God from Deuteronomy 4. On this Sunday that we also celebrate the incarnation of Christ, the Word becoming flesh and dwelling with us. And I bet there's no other church that studied Deuteronomy chapter 4 on Christmas Sunday. But we did. Because God wanted to emphasize these truths about His Word, written and living to you and to me for a reason. 
What does he want you to do with the word? Let's pray together. Father, we thank you. We rejoice truly in your, your word. When we are thinking about it rightly, as I pray, your spirit has led us to do this morning. Father, it may not always be that way because there are times in all of our lives when we feel restricted by your word because you keep us in those boundaries that you set for us because that's the place of blessing. Uh, And when we want to transgress them, Lord, we're the ones that are in the wrong and are headed for disaster. So I pray that you will help us see your word as the blessing it is in our lives. Your written word and, and you, Lord Jesus, the word of God made flesh. Come to dwell among us, to show yourself to us, to know, so we may know you and and love you, so that we may relate to you, because you, like we, lived on this earth as a human being with all of its temptations. Father, I pray that you would cause us to be people who are full of grace and truth. Lord, I pray that you would prevent us from being angry evangelicals, that just are so full of disgust for the world around us. Give us your vision for a renewed and for a redeemed earth. And show us our part to play uh, in that, Lord, as person by person reaches out to someone and, and, and the gospel is spread and, and people come to faith and start making different decisions uh, about their lives at home and in the marketplace. Give us a vision for the transformation that can take place if we would love the world around us and engage with grace the world around us. We need your spirit to dwell in us, your truth to dwell in us. We need to pray, Lord, and trust you that you will bring about the transformation. We pray these things with joy and anticipation in Jesus' name. Amen.